Bless your holy Lamb of God. I hope you had a, a wonderful, wonderful Christmas day. Hope you got everything you wanted, not near what you deserved. That's what I did. You know. <laughs> Good to be in the Lord's house here again today. Good to be with you, those who are at home. We hope you had a wonderful, wonderful time. And we understand that you're right where you need to be right now. We're praying for you. We are so thankful that we have to where we can connect with you and that we can be together even when we can't be together. This morning, we want to continue what we've been sharing here for several weeks now. We're calling it the miracle on your street. How important it is that the miracle of Christmas come home to our individual streets, our individual homes and lives. And we've been using uh, as a means of illustration uh, that classic Christmas movie, The Miracle on 34th Street. You know, it was first offered way back in white in the 40s, and then it was done in a TV uh, uh, format in the 50s and again in the 70s and then in the mid 90s it was done uh, in another in a movie format four different iterations of that film uh, same basic theme all the way through and we've taken a couple of clips and a couple of thoughts here and there that have been the illustrations behind our sermon series the miracle on your street today we want to talk about the miracle of the manger and specifically this has to do with the identity of the baby in the manger. When you consider all four versions of the miracle on 34th Street, the plot is the same all the way through. Here is a man that appears on the scene, uh, a very kind and uh, gentle soul, uh, the long white beard, and he, he introduces himself as Kris Kringle. And he doesn't just look like Santa Claus, he doesn't just act like Santa Claus. He is convinced, and his job is to convince others that he is not a department store Santa Claus, but he is the Saint Nicholas, the one and the only. And so as the plot develops in all four iterations, it's the same thing. Where is the proof? Where is the assurance? And in the characters in the movie, and even those of us who are watching, there is that within us that really, really wants to believe that indeed this is the person that we've all longed and dreamed for. And they comes apart in that movie where Mrs. Walker, who she's the one that organizes the Thanksgiving Day Parade and, and oversees the working of the Santas and, the, and such, she says, could it really be him? What if he is? And if he is who he says he is, how sad not to be recognized, and how tragic to be thought a fraud. That quote is significant in that it brings us to the same kind of decision as we consider the miracle of the manger. The question that Ms. Walker raises here is applicable not just to Kris Kringle, but the same questions are asked about the miracle of Christmas, and that is, did God really become a human being? Was that child in the manger indeed the Son of God? And if He was, what does that mean to us who choose to accept and believe that? John the gospel writer started with some huge, huge words. He began his gospel. 
He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. Incredible. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. And then he goes on to say that that word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the big question really centers around the identity of the child in the manger. Is he God become man? Or was he just another baby? And the crux of that makes all the difference in the world to us individually and eternally. So I want you to walk with me through three thoughts this morning, okay? The first thought is this. The miracle of the manger makes some astonishing claims. And we can't escape this. We can't escape this. We, we can't hide this behind a, a Christmas tree and mounds of presents and a jolly old elf in a red suit. If Christmas is what Christmas claims to be, there are some astonishing claims. When we go back to the movie, The Miracle on 34th Street, it, it was absolutely, everyone was absolutely astonished that this man really claimed to be Chris Kringle. As the 1994 edition opens, Chris is walking down the street and comes to a, to a stoplight and there's a man there, or, or a man with a grandson, and the little boy looks up at him and just knows. And he turns to his father or grandfather, whichever, and ask him, ask him. And so the two men turn to one another and he says, my, my, my son, my grandson here, uh, thinks you're Santa Claus. And Chris just laughs. And then he says, I am. And so from the very beginning in the movie, you're posed with a question. Is this man, a sweet old man with a white beard, kind and benevolent, and looks everything like I ever imagined Santa Claus would look like. And he's a good pretender. Maybe one of the best I've seen. Or could he really be who he claims to be? And in that movie, if you can take that moment of, of investigation and bring it now to the manger, is... This child, who the shepherds said he was, is this child who the Word of God says he is. Is it too good to be true? Or is this truth incarnate? You see, you can't escape the fact that there are some similarities between how this world looks at St. Nicholas and how it looks at Jesus. There are many in our world 
who see them both as a very sweet myth. As a nice story for children, especially to help them to be good. And yet it's something that you just outgrow. You eventually grow to the point that you lose your faith in Santa Claus. And those who put these two on the same level tend to lose their faith in Christ as well. And this is the world that we live in. This is the reality of the world in which we live in. When these two, St. Nicholas and Jesus, are really placed on the same level, and you kind of take them both or you just reject them both. And that's really the world we live in. It's interesting, and I want you to underscore this. Both St. Nicholas and Jesus are real historical figures. I mean, there is historical, verifiable fact about their lives. Nicholas of Myra, became, he became the, the, the Bishop of Myra, was known throughout history, out, uh, not even Christian history, but, but uh, secular historians, as an extremely God-fearing, God-loving man who had a tremendous benevolent heart for children. Yes, St. Nicholas was a real historical figure. And people will point, well, so were Jesus Christ. I mean, there's abundant evidence of the historicity of Jesus Christ. But there the similarity ends. Because Nicholas dedicated his life believing in and serving Jesus Christ as his Lord and Master. And the love he had for children and the love he had for his Savior were bound up in that intimate relationship he had through Jesus Christ with the Father. He never claimed to be who we have made him to be in all the Santa Claus mythology. He claimed to be an humble servant of Christ who loved children. But look at the claims of Jesus. Look at the incredible things that he said. He born in an in a obscure little village, placed as a baby, in a, in a feed trough, in a cave. Yet, he came to make some of the most incredible claims that any human being ever made. All centered around his identity. He claimed to be sent from God. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be one with God. The angel announced that he was Christ the Lord. As an adult, he claimed that he was the bread of heaven, that he was the living water who alone could satisfy all of man's need. He claimed to have the authority to forgive sins and to offer freely God's grace and mercy to whomever would receive it. He claimed to be the one and only way, the one and only truth, the one and only life, and no man anywhere, anyhow, was going to come to the Father except through him. He claimed to be the only path to eternal life. He claimed to have all authority in heaven and in earth. What do you do with them crazy kind of radical claims? You, you, you've, got a, you've got a decision we've got to make. Some people are going to just write him off. Write him off as a well-meaning but maybe somewhat eccentric or even crazy individual. 
Some would accept him historically, but not for his own claims. Islam embraces him as a prophet and a teacher. Hindus teach that he is one of many ways that you could find God. Many people will admire him from a distance, but when it comes right down to him, they treat him just like they do Santa Claus, a kind old man with a beard. We're met with a similar decision today. How do we respond to his incredible claims? C.S. Lewis historically wrote, that Jesus himself would not allow us to accept him as a good teacher or as a prophet or as a good moral man. Jesus would not allow that because of his claims. Claiming to be God himself in the flesh. You have only one of three possible responses to that. You either have to say, here is a man who is just a bold-faced liar. He makes incredible claims that he can't back up, and he's, he's just a liar. Or maybe he really believes that he is God in the flesh. At which point, he's crazy. He's a lunatic. Well, if he's not a liar... And if he's not a lunatic, then he's exactly who he said he was. The sovereign Lord of glory. God does not give you the option of accepting Christ as just a real fine fellow. As being a nice man with a beard. As being a good moral teacher. As being a prophet. No, you've got to declare him in your own heart. A liar, a lunatic, or he is my Lord. That's the choice you have. And this leads me to my second thought. The miracle of the manger has some staggering implications. Staggering. Part of the drama of this movie, Miracle on 34th Street, is every character, from the little girl Susan, Mrs. Walker, everybody in the movie, has to come to the point that they make a decision about Chris Kringle. Is he who he says he is or is he not? And there's a big push by some to declare him to be crazy and put him into an insane asylum. In the 1994 version, the uh, department store that has employed him is no longer Macy's. It's Macy's in the first three, but in the last one, for some reason Macy's didn't want their name associated with it, so it's a fictitious department store named Coles. But what the department store decided to do was to say, we believe in our Kris Kringle. We believe in our Santa Claus. And they started a marketing campaign and then all over New York City, you know, from, from, from the unions to those just living in the various boroughs, began to make signs and to write on their cars, we believe, we believe, we believe. And on the day that, that Kris Kringle was brought to trial, the crowds we're all through the streets of New York chanting, we believe, we believe, we believe. 
Folks, that's what America needs more than anything else today is the crowds and masses that call themselves believers in Jesus Christ to champion and to scream from the highest rooftop, we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because we believe in the miracle of the manger. The astonishing claims we dare to believe are true. And they have some staggering implications. If, but listen to me very carefully. This is not something that you can just reach and grab as some intellectual truth that you can say, okay, I've made up my mind on this body of information. And, and, and so I believe that this is true. No, no, Christ does not allow you that. Because to say you believe means you believe that He is God in the flesh. And He has claim on your life. So be careful how you begin to answer that question. Because to shout out, I believe, means I submit to who He claims to be. That He is my Lord, and my Savior, my Master, and my King. After I think through that, what if there really is someone who knows your name? What if there really is someone who knows when you're sleeping and knows when you're awake? Who knows if you've been bad or good and loves you for His own sake? What if the child of Bethlehem is who He says He is? Then you and I have a decision to make. And that decision has eternal consequences as well as practical implications for today. Because we can't accept his claims without also recognizing that he stakes a claim on our lives. And that leads us to my third thought. That the miracle in the manger requires you and I to make a crucial choice. Turn with me to Matthew 16. While you're turning to Matthew 16, we all have to ask ourselves the question, is he who he claims to be, or was he just another baby? Dr. Stanley has written a series of statements I'd like to quote to you now. He says, just another baby would not have been preceded by hundreds of prophecies about his birth, his life, and his death. Just another baby would not have been conceived in the most miraculous way possible. Just another baby would not have merited birth announcements from the hosts of heaven. Just another baby would not have inspired shepherds to leave their flocks and to find him. Just another baby would not have compelled wise men from the east to go in a quest to find him. Just another baby would not have made Simeon's lifelong wait worthwhile or brought the praise of the lips of Anna the prophetess. Just another baby would not have become a man who would give sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and freedom to the oppressed, life to the dead, and forgiveness to the guilty. Just another baby would not have become the Lamb of God who would willingly take away the sins of the world. No, he was not just another baby. He was, he is, and always will be Christ Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Amen. He claim, his claims demand a personal choice. In Matthew 16 and verse 11, Jesus had gathered the disciples around him. 
And when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, verse 13 says, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? We don't see it in the Scripture, but I think there's a holy hush over the crowd. And then Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Careful now to make that claim is to claim Him as your Lord is to claim Him as your Master. It caused for the requirement to follow Him. And the minute you claim Him as your very own, the minute you receive Him as your Savior and Lord, the minute as you are born again into His family, the minute you are created all over again by Holy Spirit, from that moment on, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. And that makes all the difference in the world. See, it brings us to a critical moment of decision. You see, you sit back and you look at all the information and you listen to your heart, and you make a decision, which is what God allows you to do. You make a decision. Do I receive this man as the Lord of my life? But as you do, you receive him also as the absolute owner of your life. Because you accept that He gave His life for you. And He gave you His life in return. Scripture says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one of us may receive the things done in the body according to all He has done, be it good or bad. You see, right now man sits in judgment over Christ saying, is he or is he not? But the time will come when Christ takes his rightful place as judge of all who that is. And he decides, based on how we've responded to the gospel, where we spend eternity. John says, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to become the children of God, to all who would believe upon his name. Let me leave you with this. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that sons of men might become sons of God. Say it again to where you can uh, you be sure you grasp it. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that sons of men, that's you and I, might become sons of God. 
and you have that choice today. The sovereign creator and sustainer of all life, who became a human being himself, who died on the cross to take your sins upon himself, and rose again so that you might have his eternal life, lays all that on the line before you, and will not force your hand. But will allow you to choose. Is he who he claims to be? Or is he just another baby? Let's pray. Father God, there are those here in our sanctuary and there are those that are watching from home that right now are faced with that huge decision. What am I going to do now? I've heard the preacher, but more importantly, I've heard the Word of God. I've got to decide, am I going to believe Christmas? Am I going to believe the miracle of Christmas? Am I going to allow the miracle of Christmas to come home to my street, to my home, to my heart? Or am I going to opt for the elf on the shelf and the tinsel and presents and ignore and reject the reason for the season? Am I going to choose the historical St. Nicholas? instead of the Christ that he loved and adored and served? And if I'm going to receive him, that means I have to submit my life to him. I have to give him my heart. I have to follow him as my Lord and Master. Holy Spirit, right now, there are those who are longing to reach out and receive you, to receive Christ into their lives as their Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, will you encourage them to pray with me right now and just say, oh Lord God, I confess to you, I'm a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. I dare to believe that God, you became a human being, Jesus Christ. I dare to believe you died to take my sins upon yourself and you rose again so that I might have your life. Come into my heart. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Sit on the throne of my life. I want you to be the boss of my life. I turn from doing things my way to doing things your way. Let it be so. Father, I know by your own authority that you've never, ever rejected that prayer and you're not rejecting it right now. For every man, every woman, every boy, every girl that has made that prayer their own, have been born again. As Paul says, they're brand new creatures in Christ. Right now, Holy Spirit, you're cleansing that heart 
and you're renewing that spirit and claiming that child as your very own. Lord, we want to rejoice. We want to rejoice here in the sanctuary for those that have made that decision. And we want to rejoice for those at home who have made it as well. So in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation for those here to come and publicly confess their, their faith in Christ. But for those at home, Holy Spirit, will you encourage them to send us an email or a text or to call us and let us rejoice with them as well. We thank you that you're still in the business of saving souls and transforming lives. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.